Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to critically examine what we are expecting of teachers, students, administrators, and parents as schools are being shut down around the world. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Rita Wurtz of Eugene, Oregon. Rita Wurtz is the educational equivalent of Madeleine Albright or Henry Kissinger. She's seen it all, done it all, and weathered all the buzzwords and initiatives that have come and gone. I was honored when she responded to an interview request made prior to COVID-19, saying that she had an urgent message for teachers and administrators during this unprecedented time, and it needed to be heard sooner rather than later. What follows is not a usual Lesson Impossible episode, but an impassioned plea to do right by teachers and students in this trying time. I began by asking Rita to share her background in education. Thank you for asking me to be on this podcast. It's um, such a, an opportunity to hopefully make a difference for those listening. I know people are very jammed and slammed with their own issues and lives right now. So anybody taking time to hear this has to be worth what we say today, Avila. My background is extensive. There's lots of things I don't know, but I've done just about every conceivable position Next year, January 15th, Martin Luther King's birthday that I share will be my 50th year as an educator, one level, one position or another, as I've recently written. And I fully intend to be here. It's very important today that we recognize that those who have come before us have a lot to offer in terms of experience. And with that being said, I've been a Title I program evaluator for years at the state level. Um, I was a keynote speaker for many years, then called teacher trainer. Now, of course, it's professional staff development. I worked in almost 600 classrooms doing my house calls program with teachers on literacy skills. I was a school principal, K-6, also preschool for two years. I taught at every conceivable level, including university credential courses, Pretty much, except for a superintendent, I've done every position that you could have, and I have worked with kids, parents, educators, as I said, for nearly 50 years. Currently, I'm an author, also a a featured blogger for BAM Internet Radio, etc. So that's kind of a bit about my background. I haven't done everything, but pretty close. Yeah, and I'll make sure to have the links to your, your books and your blog posts on um, on the show description. Sure, that'd be helpful. So right now, I think a lot of the climate is administrators and teachers not really knowing what best practice is. And there's a lot of answers out there ranging from buy our incredibly expensive privacy invading program to, you know, just hands off. In your experience, what is it that you would want to say to teachers and administrators who are looking to do the best for their students? Okay, that's the question of questions for everybody right now. And I'm here today to offer 
my opinions. Nobody has to agree with me. This is my opinion strictly, as I always say to everybody. What's happening now, in my opinion, just based on years of looking at it and having handled what I thought was every conceivable emergency. In fact, um, from California, as a principal, et cetera, there. And the first thing that we taught our credential students in administration, as well as regular credential programs that I taught, was duty to protect and safe and orderly environment. That really has drastically changed right now. With our children at home, we still have a responsibility to these kids. But what is that responsibility? I'm very concerned, Avila, that we asked teachers to all of a sudden stop what they were doing with kids in, in schoolhouses and all of a sudden make a drastic switch to everything online with no prep, no time. At the same time that the emergency was occurring, I was out there also the last day of school. I was in the classroom seeing what our teachers were going through, and I thought, how long can this continue with the unknowns? I think they're going to have to close schools. And by that day, that was the last day, and the school was closed with unknowns from there. When the kids thought that they were going to be out for a week or two or an early spring break, they weren't quite as upset, but nobody got to say goodbye. The other day, I posted an article on Twitter from We Are Teachers, thinking that it might be useful. I didn't want to stress teachers out about the fact that they may not get to come back, but I posted it anyway. In Avila, there were over 25,000 people already viewed that because they didn't know what was going to happen. They just know they were ripped away from the children, and they never got to say goodbye. You have teachers that are really torn on how much they should be doing, what they should be doing, what the duty they have. Is it to preparing students for the next grade or is their duty to be there for their students emotionally? I think that we ask teachers too much. There were some schools that were still in session, some schools closed, some schools told kids it was for the week, some schools didn't know. Nobody knew because we're in uncharted territory. There are no knowns. We are forging ahead in shifting sands, as I say. I just don't want to stuck in quicksand. This is my opinion. I wrote this recently. In fact, a couple of days ago in the blog, I posted on BAM Internet Radio. And I said this in part. I think that we need to slow down. I think teachers need to breathe. I think it was, again, I'm not going to get into the politics of this school district to school district, but I think it was unfortunate that teachers were asked to come into buildings. As I said, I was there in one on that very last day, and there were so many sick kids then and kids out. The teacher was just doing the very best she could to have things go on as uh, they were planning, but that's not what happened. So for teachers now, they went home. They didn't get to say goodbye. They thought they were coming back. The kids thought they were coming back. So to all of a sudden ask teachers to go back into those unsafe schools, in my opinion, many, I'm not talking about all, but to go back and meet with their staff, with their principals, and have to prepare haphazardly an online program was unconscionable. I understand why it happened. And I wholeheartedly love those teachers that were already online doing class platforms such as Seesaw. But many teachers were not 
and the kids did not have computers at home. So all of a sudden, after a week or maybe not at all, to expect that districts will have children meeting their expectations as they're rolling them out is unrealistic and it's unfair to children and these teachers. Recently, we saw a picture on Facebook that people thought was really cool. There was a teacher standing in her own shower that had a white backdrop. She was using that as a whiteboard because she hadn't brought one home. Now, this is so difficult. We have teachers with their own families. They barely had time to get home to get their own toilet paper, literally to get their own groceries in, to stabilize with all their changes, and yet they were expected to reach out to their classes. Now, we saw teachers on Facebook and elsewhere that were doing caravans, waving to kids in their neighborhood. We saw principals delivering food. This is wonderful. I so applaud everybody for going out of their way to make sure that children's needs were met. But how many teachers have the capability for not a week or two, possibly the rest of the school year? We don't know yet, but that's my bet. How are they going to keep up with what the expectations are from their district, from their principals, from their superintendents, and for themselves? They want to prepare the kids to be ready for next year, but that's untenable. That's not fair to anybody. The children that have no computer access, and that's a lot of them, this never should have happened. Never. But it did. So what do we do now? We cannot expect children to be tested, assessed, the insane amount of testing that was going on anyway. That's a good thing that that can't happen right now. The standardized test can't happen. I hope they never come back. But that being said, right now we shouldn't be testing kids. In my opinion, we shouldn't be grading kids. The equity issues are enormous. What was a digital divide is a digital chasm. There are children maybe having a computer in their house, but maybe there's five kids or four kids and their parents are working from home and need that computer. For the children that don't have computer access, I'm more worried than that. I'm worried that these children are crashing, burning right now. They're scared. They don't understand. They're separated from the school, which is a home for the mind, the body, the soul, their heart. They're ripped apart from their teachers, their principals, the people on yard duty, the cafeteria people. All these people, all these stakeholders we're taking care of our nation's children. And for those who are listening from Twitter and elsewhere, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all my Twitter friends and colleagues, I love you for what you're doing, but I'm exhausting watching you. It's too much too soon. We need to take a breath and stand back. We need to right now be reaching out to kids so they feel safe and loved and not forgotten. We need to get enrichment to them, such as I've been posting on Facebook and sharing widely. But beyond that, we need to stop and think. Take a breath. What's going to happen next? And for that, we don't know. Let me conclude this one question with this. Maslow, then Dewey, then Blooms. We jumped too fast to Blooms. How can we go to higher level blooms when we know there are children who were food dependent on their schools? 
We know teachers have always fed and clothed children. We know principals and other stakeholders have taken care of these kids and now what's happening to them. It is unrealistic, in my opinion, to expect our nation's children to go ahead with their schoolwork like nothing is happening. Now, granted, it's giving them structure for a few hours a day. Granted, we don't want them farther behind than they always are. But this year is a wash, in my opinion. We need to use the rest of this year to comfort our children. This morning, my granddaughter, who's in a near-perfect homeschool environment right now, she cried. She FaceTimed me. I put it on Twitter. Let's take a look at our children and step back for a minute, take a breath, and refigure what we're doing. Maslow then Dewey, their interests, then Blooms. Now, when we talk about Maslow, and we make sure somehow these children are being fed, then we can look at Dewey next. So when we look at Dewey, look at the child's interests. I think right now we need to focus on passion projects and project-based learning. We need to get our teachers the autonomy they have needed all along. And for right now, let teachers figure out what of those skill sets they need to be honing in on. But if you're a high school teacher and you got 150 kids, or if you're a, a kindergarten teacher and you got 25, 27, 30 kids and they don't all have phones or they don't have access to all the resources I'm putting out there and their teachers are putting out there, how in the world can we expect them to be held accountable in any way? It's it's crazy. We know that teachers have always given so much of themselves. One of my fears for my colleagues during this crisis is everyone's holding on by a thread and then to give even more is is asking so much of them. Do you have advice? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what we're talking about. Now, there are many teachers who are already thriving. I can tell you that my one granddaughter in Humboldt, California, She's uh, got an IEP for speech. She's a kindergartner, and her kindergarten teacher was right on it. She was uh, right on with those kids with Zoom, and um, they're doing okay. It's really helped because this child needs other children. She needs her teacher. And, again, um, I'm just speaking personally because we all have personal stories right now. Uh, she's doing okay. And, like I said, Morgan is doing as well as could be expected, but she's crashing too. She cried all morning. She couldn't get to the schoolwork. Morgan, when she found out she was going to be held accountable to what the district was sending out, she was freaking out. She really liked what her mom was doing, that they've been doing science experiments and art and PE and following the virtual field trips. They're very, very engaged. She's actually learned to tell time, which she wasn't doing before, and she's in third grade. We always said third is the cut. And we have states, I won't say which ones, that we're actually retaining children. I've written extensively about retaining children in third. Third's uh, supposed to be the cut. Well, what are you going to do this year? You're going to retain all these kids that aren't reading at grade level. Now, let's look at also the tests. As a program evaluator in my background, I know it's ironic, but I've been writing for many years now about we needed to dump standardized tests, period. It's horrendous. I'm also not a favor of, of, of any time tests for children. It's too stressful. And taking them out in the hallways and doing this incessant amount of, of testing based on Lexiles, terms of reading groups. 
for that reason alone, I'm happy that kids are uh, relieved of those stresses and teachers as well. But that being said, I don't know what's next either. I do know that we shouldn't be testing kids at all during this period. Not at all. We shouldn't be worrying about it. Our number one job, if it's a job, and again, I don't know what a good teacher is. To me, all teachers are good teachers one way or another. They're all great teachers, in fact. But the art and craft of teaching is what I'm talking about here, not the science of reading, not balanced literacy, none of these silly battles. It's all about calming children, making that connection, giving them enrichment. And as far as uh, catching them up, uh, again, I don't believe in remediation. I believe all children are scholars in waiting. I don't believe in struggling readers. I believe that all children are geniuses waiting. So this is a great time to give creative projects for them to, uh, again, passion projects, maker projects. We have to use whatever they have in their home environment. And that may be great and it may be little. That's where the equity comes in. And for administrators who are in a position of having to justify themselves to many of them to politicians, that their teachers are working and deserving of their salary, that they're not failing kids. What advice do you give them to make the argument that we need to focus on Maslow, Dewey, Bloom? There is no argument. This is a no-brainer because superintendents have families too, and they see what's happening to children. They're wonderful. All our superintendents are outstanding. Our principals are outstanding. This is the only time in my life that I would say I really wouldn't want to be a principal right now because it was my favorite job I ever had. But I say this. We don't need to justify anything right now. What we need to do as one nation is come together as one. And we need to say our number one job right now is to make a connection to make sure the children are being fed, that they have clothes, that they're safe, that there's not abuse going on in their home. We need to do whatever we can to get social services involved with all of our children. We know the amount of homeless kids. How are you going to give assignments to a kid living in a car? How are you going to give these uh, stringent assignments to children, as I said, who may not be with their parent right now or caregiver? What if their families are sick and they're separated? There are so many unknowns. For the superintendents out there, God bless you all. You have a mighty job, but you don't need to defend yourself to anybody, in my opinion. What we need to do is, of course, keep paying teachers. They're doing more than they were ever asked to do. This is way harder. Teachers didn't even want to get a sub. It was too much work to do sub plans, and they worried about their children, so they were working sick all along. They've always done that. So all of a sudden, we think that what they're doing isn't important, connecting with kids, but as far as uh, expecting them that they're going to meet Common Core right now, parents can't even figure out how to do Common Core math, for goodness sakes. And we're expecting teachers to, to uh, teach parents right now. Teachers need to do what they need to do, but parents need to do what they need to do. And right now, that may be to keep the power on, to get food in that house, to see if they can get toilet paper. These are basic skills right now. Uh, basic needs, but it takes a skill to figure out how to navigate these systems, whatever they need to do to make sure their families are safe. And all of a sudden, they're supposed to be teachers too? Wow. Come on. Really? Let's get real. So what's the superintendent to do? I don't have the answer. They're the ones that know what to do. But I will say this. God bless, God speed to our superintendents because they need to make this happen. We also need to relieve teachers of the fear they won't be going back to a physical school building 
and that vouchers or charters are going to completely uh, eradicate them. This conversation has to stop right now. I don't want to see anything more about it, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or coming in the news feed. I don't want to see it. We don't need teachers worrying about anything more than connecting with children and getting some basic assignments out there that the kids can do. I've seen some things now, Avila, where it says, uh, plan to do half of what you think you can do with the standards. Are you kidding me? I think if they did about 45 minutes, not four hours in the day. But again, this is individual. There's some children that are thriving getting the school assignments and working through them. It gives them structure and stability. If, again, the children don't have computer access, forget it, and all we're doing is uh, wasting our time. Teachers need combat pay right now. They don't need to have uh, any worries about not having enough money to live on. And many of them didn't have enough to begin with anyway. They're in high-priced areas such as the Bay Area, and they couldn't afford to live anyway. How many teachers were already working two and three jobs to be able to teach? It made me sick. And for those that worry about the equity of your typical upper middle class, usually Caucasian kid who's now getting his parents to pay for the best educational software and private tutors during this time, how do we make sure that the, and I, I really hate this phrase, but the, the achievement gap doesn't become an achievement chasm? Oh, good grief. It already is. Come on. I've been writing about this for years and years. This is not news. The achievement gap, my goodness. It's, uh, it's been there for a long time. We haven't ever leveled the playing field. Now we have a chasm, not a gap. And as far as the achievement gap, uh, forget about it for right now. We have more issues that this generation of children is being so damaged uh, psychologically and emotionally. In schools, we were already doing kindness curriculum, and I never liked the word grit. Um, it's just personal. Those acronyms drove me crazy. But the bottom line is a positive growth mindset, grit, whatever we want to call it, is replacement for what we've always called resilience. But our children have not been resilient for a long time. Uh, the factors of uh, society that we've uh, enumerated, the homelessness, the hunger, uh, the deprivation, there was no way to level that playing field. And then when you do add in the, the fact of the digital divide, that's the first thing that needed to be addressed really by districts and by uh, governors and um, by Congress it was to get Chromebooks or laptops to every child. Uh, and no child left behind means giving every child a, a chance. And we've already left the nation's children behind. And uh, this now gives us a new opportunity to look anew at what we need to do to meet the needs of all our children. We now say that uh, learning styles uh, is debunked. We say that uh, the National Reading Panel is debunked and uh, Gardner's work is debunked and the brain research is, uh, was debunked. Now it's so much better. We can see with MRIs what's going on. But nobody's talking about the kids' hearts and souls here. We're not talking about the children who are crying that all of a sudden they went from playing at recess to friends to, uh, well, you could have a play group. And then like Morgan, she got to play with her one little friend. And then all of a sudden she can't even see her. So these children are isolates. And how in the world can we worry about what their test scores are going to be in the fall? What's going to happen in the fall anyway? Now, I'm not one today to predict nor shall I in any way what's going to happen. I can only deal with right now, and right now 
I think we've hit pretty hard. And I know I'm very outspoken, but I got almost 50 years at this. I've been through many emergencies, but nothing like this. For teachers that may feel like they're ill-equipped to deal with the emotions of their students, I know that you know, we have the image of the kindly kindergarten teacher who gets posted on Twitter where she's singing her guitar to her students, but not all teachers can make emotional and deal with emotional things as readily. Oh, you're right. For teachers, some are more touchy-feely. I'm a very huggy, touchy-feely person. There are teachers who are like that, and there are children who need it. We know there are children who don't want to be touched for various reasons. My heart aches, having spent years working on school attendance review boards, SARP, CASWA, the attendance uh, groups that I keynoted for, et cetera. And I can tell you this, we were pushing You Miss School, You Miss Out 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And now for children, being at school was their godsend. Many, many, if not most children, this was their stability and their focus in their life. They don't have it now. And teachers were not trained, were not equipped to deal with these social needs when they were in school. So how in the world, when they're at home, can we be the consolers in chief right now? This is not an easy thing. I pray. I wake up in the middle of the night and I cry for the children. I wake up in the morning and I think about the children. If you had a teacher in tears in front of you now, and I imagine there's a lot of teachers in tears everywhere around the world right now. And you could give her or him or them one message. What would that one message be? Be brave. Take risks. There's no failure, only feedback. I've never believed in failure and all the people who write about failure and teaching kids how to fail. Why? There's no failure, only feedback. Childhood is a precious time. What's the rush? Right now, why are we rushing out programs that we don't know will work? Why are we rushing? Why are we not taking a breath? Right now, we should be connecting with children, making them feel that we still care, even though we're not with them. It's absolutely unfair what we are expecting of our educators to do. And the politicians... They don't know. They don't understand the warmth in that school building. Nothing will ever replace the schoolhouse. Nothing. And I see the ads, too, these come-ons. Oh, we got this great program. You can get two hours of tutoring for free. Oh, we know behind that what's going on. Don't do it. Don't even look at that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the fall, per se, right now. This is day-to-day getting ourselves Geared that this is not going to end tomorrow or the next week, that we have to be prepared for a whole brave new world. What can come of it when we go back to school? And yes, I believe with all my heart, we'll go back to schoolhouses. This can't go forever. Parents are ill-equipped to do this. And teachers are ill-equipped to teach parents how to do this and to monitor the well-being, the emotional health of their children. When, as we said, they are probably not trained to do so. We were already expecting growth mindset. And yes, some teachers were doing yoga. I've been promoting brain gym for many years. 
also uh, Pilates, stretching, whatever teachers want to do, brain breaks, go noodle, it's all wonderful. But that is not the same as being trained social workers, psychologists, doctors. We cannot be expected to go into parents' homes via a computer, distance learning, and reach and touch, the same as reaching and touching in our classroom with the warmth of school culture surrounding our children and our teachers and the growth and support teacher to teacher that goes on in principal to teacher. This cannot go on forever, and we cannot allow it to go on forever in terms of the what's next. We must stay home right now. There's no doubt about it. We need to save lives. But I'm looking at the emotional well-being of not only the children and the caregivers, whoever they might be, but the teachers. What can we do to help these teachers? We got to let go and let up a little bit. Take it slow right now. Breathe. I really want to thank you for bringing all of your years of experience and passion and I think a lot of people that are listening right now feel supported in a way that maybe they don't feel supported elsewhere. And I think for them, knowing that there's someone out there that is looking after them and crying tears for them even, it is going to be helpful in the days ahead. So thank you very much for that. I thank you for asking me. And I really hope that people know that we did this on uh, no notice uh, we got it together because it can't wait. This is not one to reschedule. Uh, I hope and I pray that my words today make a difference for at least one person. And having connected with you is a blessing also because I have felt like I was drowning at times. And I'm not currently responsible for 25 little people or 150 for the first time in my career as an educator. All I can say to you is, God bless everybody. May we all stay home, be safe, be well, and we will get through this together. Better together is no joke. Right now it's more important than ever. There you have it. Take a breath and step back. Focus on the art of teaching and recognize that no one, not even those who have been doing this for 50 years, has the perfect solution to what school systems are facing. If you want to find out more about what innovative educators are doing around the world, go to LessonImpossible.com, where you'll find links to previous episodes, recommended resources, and more. And if you like the podcast, please consider forwarding it to your colleagues and rating and reviewing it on iTunes. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.